Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Here we go. We're going to go into Psalm 63. And uh, if you want to start turning there with me, we're going to be looking at a Psalm of David. And this was, if you read the very top of it, it says that he wrote this in the wilderness. Can you just say the word in with me? Ready? One, two, three, in. He didn't write it after he got through the wilderness and was on the other side and was like, whoo, God is good. He wrote this in the wilderness. And what we're going to find is that this was a song birthed out of a troubling time. In fact, there were so many troubling times in David's life where he, uh, at the beginning, when he's anointed by Samuel, Saul is still the king. Saul becomes increasingly like demonized and he's throwing spears at David and David's fleeing for his life, right? And David was wandering in the wilderness during that time period. There's another time period where his son, Absalom, who is the finest looking man in Israel, he also has a, a real political ambition and he's greeting people at the city gate and he's shaking their hands and kissing their babies and saying, bring your problems to me. And he turns the heart of the nation towards himself and away from David. And David has to flee. And again, he's in the wilderness. We're not even sure which troubling time this is in David's life. It's probably one of those two. But this was a man who knew what it was to walk through and difficulty. Would you agree that maybe, just maybe, hypothetically, we're walking through troubling times right now? Amen? Right? Y'all feel that? Right? We see that in the world. We've been talking about that. And when we were marching out or, or kind of planning out the series, I wasn't kind of thinking that this is where it was going to go, to be honest with you. But the more that I've dug into these and, and kind of tried to understand what the song was birthed out of, what I'm seeing is that over and over again, it was adversity. It was trial. It was suffering. It was difficulty. And these are troubling times. And what I want to talk about today, and maybe this is great for us in as fathers, is is how to find confidence in troubling times. How do we find confidence in troubling times? Because if ever there was a time where the church of Jesus, where the people of God need to be able to walk in courage and confidence, this is the day. Right? We, we need this word. We need this song. This is a 3,000-year-old song. And here's what's so interesting about this is uh, John Chrysostom, who was one of the early church fathers. He lived in the late 300 AD, and he was one of the, the, the most um, published at that time. He was writing these works. And one of the things he tells us is that this was a psalm that was decreed and ordained amongst the early Christians, that they were to sing this song publicly every single day. They sang this song. You know why? They lived in troubling times. 
If you look at Nero and what he did to Christians, these were people who knew what it was to walk through troubling times. And so what did they do? They leaned in and they sang this song every single day together like we just did. I uh, read a study this week. It's a recent study as of this year. And it talked about... um, the, the article was entitled, Why American Teens Are So Sad. I think I have it. It was uh, from The Atlantic. Derek Thompson wrote the article. And this was a graph that showed the percentage of high school students feeling persistently sad or hopeless. They feel troubled. These are our teenagers. And what the studies found, I want to say they asked, like they interviewed 8,000 teenagers across the U- United States. And, and here's what they found is that, I don't know if you guys can kind of see right here, this, this number, 44.2 is the average. 44.2% of teenagers feel persistently sad or hopeless. 40. 4.2%. What? That's crazy. Now, if you're a dude, male, you're doing a little bit better. 31.4% of dudes. If you're black, 39.7%. If you're white, I want to say it's like 43.9%. Overall, 56.5%. LGBTQ. of teenagers that identify as LGBT feel persistently sad or hopeless. Whoa. America, we have a problem. Everything tells us this is good. Do this. We're in the middle of Pride Month. This is good. But look what it's doing to our teenagers. Every tree will be known by its fruit. This is not bearing good fruit, my friends. You say, well, they're not accepted. That's why they, 75.7, 76% of LGBTQ people that are teenagers are feeling persistently sad or hopeless. They, the phrase that he used about this, all of these people, not just the, the LGBT, was this, a chronic sense of doom. And you say, well, it's because they don't feel accepted. Well, if I'm understanding the times right, they probably feel more accepted than ever. And what should be happening is that number should be going towards the 44.2. It should be going down to this number to where it's more in line with the average, right? But it's not. It's going up. Which means it's not about acceptance. We have a spiritual problem. People feel troubled all across and this is not condemnation. This is not shame. This is not guilt. This is the love. This is the love of God, the love of people saying, this way is not resulting in what's right for us. It's not causing us to flourish. There is a way that God causes us to flourish, and we have to find his way. People feel troubled. In July of last year, um, I had coronavirus, and y'all probably remember almost a year ago, I was laying in bed, and you know, my, I just kept going down and down and down. I guess I had the Delta strain, maybe. We're not really sure. They never told me what I had exactly, but I went to the hospital the first time. They said, ah, suck it up, big boy. Go home. 
and you'll figure it out, right? So I go home, and I get back in bed, and I, I, guys, I felt so sick, I couldn't even watch TV. Like, that's how bad. Like, that's pretty bad. If you can't watch TV when you're sick, some of you like being sick because you're like, cool, I get to catch up on some shows and watch a few movies, right? I couldn't even do that. I felt so bad. I finally went back, and they're like, okay, yeah, it's really bad. And they, you know, checked me, and I had to do all the monoclonal and the, um, all the meds, and I was there for a few days, and you guys rallied around me, and I've never felt more loved in my life by you guys in that time. Thank you so much. But as I was coming out of that, and I shared this with you guys as I came out of that, um, I just really felt like the Lord said, um, things are going to continue to be difficult. And friends, that's where we are. Right? We are in an age right now that's very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. But I have good news for you. There's a way for us to find courage in the midst of troubling times. Every generation of, of Christians and, and you know, those that believed in God before they knew Jesus were seeing this pattern. These people learned how to find courage in troubling times. And here's the thing. We don't ever want them to come, right? Nobody wants to say things are going to be difficult for a while. Troubling times are going to come. Nobody wants that. But we don't get to choose if they come, we can only choose how we respond when they come. Amen? That's the choice we have. So today, I want us to consider what is God's invitation to you in the midst of troubling times. Let's dive into Psalm 63. We're going to have this up on the screen for you. You can read along. If you have a copy of scripture that you like to read in, go ahead and do, do that with me. Verse 1, here's, here's what it says. God you are my God. I eagerly seek you. Your translation might say, early I seek you, eagerly I seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. Or, or your translation might say marrow and fatness. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed... I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Verse 8, I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who, in, who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. That would be their equivalent of like a coyote. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have David writing a song in the wilderness. And David is going through one of the hardest times in his life, whether it was Saul or Absalom. These would have been 
very, very difficult times for him. And here's the thing. Not only is David going through a hard time, David has people looking to him, dads, okay? He has people looking to him to say, lead us. What do we do? We're being chased through the wilderness, David. I know that's hard for you, but what about us? He has a whole household of people that are traveling with him. He has men, he has, he has uh, you know, commanders, valiant men that are looking to him for leadership. And in the midst of, of this season, David has to dig deeper. And what we don't have is a bunch of complaining. Man, things are so hard right now. Gosh, life is tough. But what we have is something incredibly confident. He's full of praise. See, troubling times are God's invitation. This is the first thing to reconfirm your first love. When we walk through trouble, we, we have this invitation to reconfirm our first Love. We, we see this in his words here in verse one. God, you are my God. Elohim, you are my El. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints. Like his physical body feels this longing. He's Fainting. It's like it's like to become white faced when people say you're white as a ghost. Like you, I thought you were gonna pass out. Like that's the picture of what what he's communicating here. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And surely he's seeing the terrain of an uninhabited desert, desolate place, and it's just miles of those heat and rocks and sand. And in that place, he's like, that's how I feel. This is how I feel. Like, I just want you so bad. Like, like I want to drink a water right now. My body feels it. And he says, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Lord, people are trying to kill me right now. And I'm pretty sure nature is trying to kill me right now. But guess what? Your love is better than living. Wow. David reconfirms his first love. And you know how it is. When times are good, it's so easy for the first love thing to kind of fall away. There's something about the heat of the furnace, the walking through the fire that makes us reconfirm our first love. And I think you know this, there is a constant competition for your first love all the time, 24 seven, day and night, in your head, in your heart, in your brain, all the, it's like there's a constant competition for your first love. And what I love about David in this moment is he's not longing for the pleasures of the palace, right? That would be so easy in the middle of hard times. You know, we feel that like I go to the grocery store and they don't have the brand of like toilet paper we buy. And I'm like, oh, right? Y'all feel that? You go to the store and it's like, I don't, I don't want this, I want Topo Chico, but they don't have Topo Chico. I've got a, 
you know, I've got to give you, we, 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 we want the pleasures in the midst of hard times, but David's not longing for pleasures, he's longing for the presence of God. And we, we find this, we, we know it in life, we see it maybe amongst people that we know, people in the church, maybe in our own lives, that difficulty has a way of destroying some and deepening others. Jesus, when he has the parable of the soils, he talks about a shallow soil, and it was, there was rock right underneath. There was a hardness of the heart right underneath the soil, and, and they received the word with joy. They're like, yes, Jesus, all the way. I'm with you. And then was it, what, what, he says what? Trial comes persecution on, on behalf of the word, and they fall away. But then there was another kind of soil, and it had depth, right? Deep, good soil. Difficulty has a way of destroying some and deepening others. We know that some get bitter and some get better, right? And the question is, what, what makes the difference? What makes the difference I was reminded this week of um, the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. And in, in, in Re- Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, so the, the angel of the Lord is speaking to John and he's telling, Hey, I want you to, to take these words of Jesus and deliver them to the churches and to the church of Ephesus. He says, This I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name. Hey, I know you've been through troubling times. And you've not grown weary. Way to go. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Wow. You've gone through troubles. You're still standing. Praise God. Way to go. You've not grown weary. But where's your love? Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's people who went through trouble, and yet in trouble, they didn't fall away, but they didn't love God. Something had changed on the inside. There's a song that we sing sometimes, and the song is called Nothing Else, and I want to say Smitty was the first one to lead us in that song. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, I love that song. And it has this part in the song where it says, I'm sorry when I come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forget that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. It's a beautiful line. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My love shifted. I've came with my own agenda. I had this thing in my mind of how it was going to go, and it didn't go that way. And Lord, I'm sorry. Take me back to where we started. There's a constant competition for your first love. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus doesn't have the first place, I do, right? I don't have a little statue in my living room that I go bow down to when I'm having a rough day and Jesus isn't first, right? 
There's, a, there's an image in the mirror that I look at, and that's where I'm drawing from, right? When he's not first, I am. And to repent is to take myself off the throne and to give that place back to Jesus. It's to love Jesus more. And when that happens, it's no longer about my happiness. It's about his worthiness. Because here's the thing. Difficulty will threaten your pursuit of yourself every single time. And it's God's invitation to take ourselves off of the throne and to say, Jesus, you're first. Take me back to where we started. Lord, I want to go back to loving you. And I was thinking of Paul who said things like this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What? How do you stop a guy like that? Oh, you're going to kill me? Cool. I'm going to see Jesus. What a win, right? (laughs) This guy knew more difficulty than anybody. He's like, look, I don't even know if I want to stay here with you guys. Okay, I will. To live is Christ, but to die is gain, okay? And that's, that was his, his mentality. He was like this kamikaze Christian thing, right? And there's this return to godly humility, which is this, and you know this, you've heard this phrase before, right? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's like pulling ourselves off of the throne. It's a, it's a liberty from being self-centered so that when we walk through troubles and in all of the pursuit of the things that we love and we like and the, you know, that make us feel really good, and when all that's challenged, we can say, ah, Jesus, I love you. I love you first. So in the battle for your first love, Jesus has to win, Okay? Troubling times are God's invitation to reconfirm that victory. Second thing, we see this in David's words. It's to rejoice in who he is. And I added this phrase, and you're, it's going to trouble you a little bit, but then I'll explain it. To you. Rejoice in who he is to you. Now, what I'm not saying is whatever you think God is like, cool. You think he's like Buddha? Way to go. You think he's like Allah? Wait. No, no. Uh, what I'm saying is David is, is talking about God not in an abstract of like, I've heard that you're good. I've heard that you're a source for people that are in trouble. I've heard, you know. He's like, no, this is who you are to me. This is who you are to me. Verse 4 I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands because you satisfy me. That's not a theological abstraction. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Like I'm just, whoo, like you're so good to me, God. He uh, goes on in verse 7. Because you are my helper. That word helper in Hebrew is the word Ezra. If you're named Ezra, if you have a friend named Ezra, a child named Ezra, that means one who helps. But it has this kind of three-dimensional understanding of the word is that it's one who helps in times of trouble. One who helps in distress. Because you are my helper, I will 
rejoice in the shadow of your wings. The first thing that goes when trouble comes is joy and rejoicing, right? What do we do? Life is so hard. Man, finances are tough. Man, my job. Oh, oh gosh, my kids. Whew. You know, it's just like we just start complaining about everything. And the first thing to go is rejoicing. And we see this revolutionary paradigm shift of David is that instead of complaining, David is rejoicing. You know, when David was fleeing Absalom, he's going up the eastern, so here's the old city of Jerusalem, and on the eastern side is the Mount of Olives, and he's walking up the Mount of Olives with his whole household and his, his mighty men and all of his people, which means all he's doing is he's just getting a perfect vantage view of everything that he's walking away from. And it says that he's just weeping. He's weeping as he walks. So what I'm not saying, rejoice and be happy, happy, clappy Christians, right? You know, he experiences the full depth of emotions. He's mourning, he's grieving, he's weeping. But underneath all of that, there's a joy that says, I have an Ezra. I have a helper in times of trouble. And that's not a theological abstraction. It's like, he's here helping me right now. I found this quote from one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he said. Even publicans and sinners have a good word for those whose hands are enriching them with gifts. It is the true believer only, get this, who will bless the Lord when he takes away his gifts or hides his face. Wow. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I love this so succinct. It says, rejoice always, verse 15. I mean, verse 16, verse 17. Pray constantly. If you want to memorize a verse this week, pick this one, right? Rejoice always. I, le I learned a verse. Pray constantly. Another verse, wow. Give thanks in everything. And he includes this. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. And I think you know this, that troubling times have a way of revealing our source of joy, which means when the source runs out, the joy runs out. When I lived in San Marcos, we were out on six acres, and uh, it's like mostly rocks and cactus, okay, with some cedar trees and a few like, you know, other trees growing, but it's mostly cedar trees. It's rock. It's, you know, there's a little bit of soil in between the rocks, maybe a little bit of grass grows, right? And, and that's it. And so we, we bought this property. We're going to build a house. And one of the first things you have to do is you have to dig a well, because when you build that house, you're going to need water. And so you, we get the guys out there to start digging the well. And what I learned about well digging is that, um, A, you have to go super deep in the Texas Hill Country, and what happens is whenever they're drilling, there's a moment where they hit a pocket of water and you start to think, we hit it, man. Like we found water. 
But an experienced digger knows that that pocket is typically, there's like, there's like little pockets above the main aquifer, and that little pocket is actually going to run dry like super, super fast. And so they know we have to go past the first pocket of water, and we have to go deeper. They have to get all the way down. And here's the thing about troubling times, is they call us to go deeper, We've got to dig deeper for sources of joy when all the, the surfacey things are contested. And we have a source, my friends, that never runs dry. Paul talked about in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Could troubling times take us away from the well? No. No. It's why James says, consider it a great joy when you go through trials of many kinds. You ever had somebody quote that passage to you in the middle of difficulty and trial, and you want to punch them in the face, right? Because you're like, don't tell me that. But here's what he says. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be, may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He said, look, this is a joy for you because you're going to go deeper. You're going to go deeper. It's in the deeper well where we sing, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. The key to confidence in troubling times is the true well of joy and rejoicing. Last one. Y'all still with me? Everybody okay? Number three. Troubling times are God's invitation to us to reaffirm your true calling. Reaffirm your true calling. There's this moment in verse 11 where David says, but the king will rejoice in God. And we don't know which troubling time it was. So if it's Saul, David's been anointed king, but Saul's still the king. And yet, so David's having to dig deeper. It's like on the outside, it doesn't look like I'm the king. It looks like I'm more like a, still sort of this in limbo. I, I'm serving him, but I'm winning battles, right? And so he's in limbo, and his identity could be unclear to him. His calling could be unclear. Or we have Absalom, who's won the hearts of the people, and David's leaving, fleeing the city. And in that moment, it would be really, really easy for him to think, but David will rejoice in God. But no, he, he draws upon, no, no, you've called me to be king, and the king will rejoice in God. David reaffirms his true calling, and there's this phrase, you probably know the phrase, mission drift. Have you heard the phrase mission drift before? Y'all? No? Yeah? Mission drift? Here's what it means. It's when an organization drifts from its stated mission. It's when the path of least resistance causes us to lose the purity and the clarity of our calling. Right? You, you, you say, here's, here's what we're called to do. Here's our mission. Here's, here's who I am. Here's, here's my identity, right? But then it's like the path of least resistance has this gravitational pull, and it's all of a sudden you're doing all this stuff over here, and then troubling times come, and you're like, ah, I got to get back to what you've called me to do, who you've called me to be. And David reaffirms 
his true calling. You, you see, in good times, we have spiritual disciplines. Like we're like, gosh, I gotta read my Bible. I gotta pray. Lord, help me. I'm gonna do that more faithfully, right? I need to be more disciplined. But in troubling times, we have spiritual desperation. We're like, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. Because if I don't, it's not going to be a good day today. Because I'm walking through something hard. In good times, churches can drift from the mission, the call, and we can hold services. But in troubling times, the church must re-embrace the real call of making disciples. I heard a guy this week say, I was at a conference, and the guy said, we have to shift from planting or, or, or aiming at mega churches, and we need to start talking about discipling mega people. Like, we need people who understand the call of God on their life, and they will live it faithfully wherever God takes them. As leaders, we can, in good times, fall into the trap of entertaining the saints. But in troubling times, we have to re-engage our call to equip the saints. Ephesians 4. In good times, we can focus on finding my purpose. I want to find my unique purpose in the world. But in troubling times, we reach for God's purpose. We say, God, I got to live out what you're calling me to do. I got to live out what you have called me to be. Uh, one of the guys that I listened to this week, his name is Tommy Ariomi. I think I'm saying that right. And he said, We focus too much on, ide on identity and we focus too little on images. He said, our, our nation is being led astray by images. And we're, you know, we're off trying to find our unique purpose in the world when he says, look, here's what Jesus said. Imitate me. You're not called to be a, a unique thing. You're called to be a reflection of the man of heaven. God's called us to himself. Would you just do what I do? Look to me. Follow me. As David says, I follow closely after you because your right hand upholds me, right? It's, it's a calling to follow Jesus, and we need to reaffirm our true calling. And there's great security in the midst of difficulty when you're following closely and the right hand of God is upholding you. I think of my kids learning to ride a bike, right? And you're, you're running beside them like, ah, they're going to fall, right? It's like, that's what's happening in the midst of troubling times. We're like, ah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on, right? And God's there. Follow closely. It was to people in great difficulty that Paul said, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to what? Their unique purpose you know, they're called according to his purpose. Here's the key to confidence. You've called me according to your purpose. I want to close with this. Um, at this conference that I went to, there was a really sort of surprising uh, speaker. Surprised me. I'd heard about this guy. His name was Jeremiah Johnson. And um, he was of national note or national fame 
because uh, in June of 2020, he, he, he's a church planter, had a church that went from one to two. He, uh, he's on TV doing, you know, he's writing books. This guy was what he would call a, you know, a poster child for his stream of Christianity. And he had a dream in June of 2020, and it was a three-part dream. And in the dream, the first part was the Dodgers were going to win the World Series, and it was going to be a sign that God was not done with California yet. And the second part of the dream is that Amy Comey Barrett would be uh, confirmed as a Supreme Court justice before the election, and it was going to be a sign that Roe versus Wade would be overturned in our nation. And the third part of the dream was this. Donald Trump would win the presidency. So on October 25th, I think, the Dodgers win the World Series. And he's like, wow, okay. October 26th, the following day, Amy Comey Barrett is confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. And this is the week right before election week. And a major newspaper comes to him and, and interviews him. And it's like, wow, two out of three. Like, do you think Donald Trump's going to win the presidency? And he's like, yes, absolutely. Like, the Lord has confirmed these two. Like, it's going to happen. And then he wakes up to what we all were like, oh, wow. Joe Biden's the president of the United States of America. And so he goes online to his mailing list of people. And he says, it was stolen. And he was in the middle of a, um, a book deal. And here was the name of the book. Trump and the Rise of the Remnant. Okay? Are you getting a sense of where this guy fell on the spectrum of things? And here's what happened. Trump didn't win the presidency. And he's finishing the book in his house, writing the last chapter, it's in that time period where everybody's waiting for the January 6th, like, is like, what's going to happen? Like, did, like, are they contesting this? You know, all that kind of stuff, right? And he's, he's still a man of stolen. He's, he's all in on that, right? And, and he's writing the last chapter, and he says, the spirit of the fear of the Lord came into my house. And he said, here's what the Lord said. Cancel the book deal. He's like, okay. And he said, issue a letter of apology to the church. So he calls a mentor and he's praying that the mentor says, no, 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 that's just weird. You probably ate something weird. Like that's, you know, he calls the mentor and says, here's what I feel like God told me to do. She starts laughing and she says, this is God. This is the way of the cross. He's like, ooh. So he writes the letter, cancels the book deal. He waits till the day where, I think it was January 6th, is that right, where they, or uh, January 7th. What, what day was it where they announced Joe Biden and they confirmed all that? It was right then. It was the 6th? Yeah, it's the 6th, because that was the day of the insurrection. So on that day, he um, releases the letter. And here's what he said. I expected, like, cessationists to be like, total heretic, right? This guy's, you know, full of it. Because what I didn't expect is that all the people from my stream, from the, the, the charismatic, the white evangelical kind of stream, would turn on me. 
And what happened is that he and his family and his whole staff started receiving death threats. They would get 500 plus letters of the nastiest, vilest, vulgarest things from Christians. And he's telling this story and he's in tears and he looks at everybody in the room and he says, I just want to apologize to you if I've led you astray. And I want to apologize to you if I've hurt you by my, by my ministry. And of course, we're all like, you know, we're, we're with him. We, we appreciate the authenticity of what he's saying. He said that um, the leaven of Herod had gotten mixed into his first love of Jesus. He said, I, I found that I'd been trapped in this white evangelical thing. But what got me was this. He says this at the end of the testimony. He says, Jesus loved me so much that he tore down my ministry to save me. And when he said that, I was like, wow. Here's a man who's walked through trouble, big trouble. His, he had $50,000 a month in support to support his ministry and his staff and all the things they were doing. In three days, it went down to zero. His staff is afraid to go to work because they're getting death threats. The Lord tells him, shut it down. Shut down every social media account you have. He does it. He shuts it all down. He issues the letter. And he says, the Lord tore down my ministry to save me. And what I saw was this. Here's a man who's walked through great trouble, and here's what he's saying at the end. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a man who's found a deeper well. Here's a man who, who's reaffirming his true calling. It's not to all this other noise. It was to follow Jesus. It was beautiful. So, friends, I want to encourage you to reconfirm your first love. Who's first in your life, really? Is it Christ or is it you? I would encourage us to rejoice in who he is, not abstractly, but who he is to you, Ezra, the helper who helps in times of trouble. Can you bless him in the wilderness? And lastly, I want to encourage you to reaffirm your true calling. Have you, have you drifted from the essential mission of following Jesus and imitating him? And let me just end right here. Jesus knows about troubling times. He he endured, he chose great trouble on our behalf. Never once did he drift from his, from his true love. I've not come to glorify myself, but to glorify the Father. Right? Jesus, he, he rejoiced perfectly in the Father. 
Jesus never drifted from his mission, and he did all of that so that sinners like me and you could look to him, and that we could find grace in the hour of our need. He did it perfectly, and he died for us, and he rose again, and he ascended to the Father, and we are to imitate him. Amen? And so wherever you are today, if you feel like, man, I'm on track, or man, I've totally blown it, guess what? Today is a new day. Mercies are fresh and new today for you. You can look to Jesus, and you can find grace in your hour of need. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.